All right, I think we're here tonight to talk about Esther, not the snow and the other things. And um, we want to be looking at chapter uh, 6 tonight, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Uh, last Sunday, because uh, Glenn was out of town, and rather than cover some of the parables for him, I just continued our study of the book of Esther. And of course, in chapter 5, we, as we talked about last Sunday, uh, we talked about um, Esther... Uh, getting herself all dolled up, and she went to see the king, and the king allowed her to come in, and he was willing to give her half of his kingdom, and so, but the request she made was that, I just want you and the prime minister, Haman, to come to the queen's quarters, and let me fix you a good meal, and that's what she did, and they both showed up, and um, the king asked her again, I'm willing to give you half of my kingdom, what do you want? And Esther said, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you all come back tomorrow and I'll fix you another meal and um, I'll let you know then. So she invited Haman and the king Xerxes back for another meal. And uh, evidently last Sunday I talked about food a lot because I kept hearing people saying after class that I must have been hungry because we kept talking about food, but it fit with the lesson we were talking about. And um, so she issued the invitation for them to come back and Haman, as he is leaving the the queen's private chambers, uh, the text says he's just full of himself. He's just so happy. He just can't get over his good fortune. He's got all these things going for him. He even got invited to a private banquet with the queen. But then something happens. What happens? He saw Mordecai, and that just ruined his day. Oh, it turned into a terrible, no good day. And so he goes home and he explains to his wife and to all his friends and co- cohorts that, man, I've got this, I've got this, I'm, like, I'm just like the best man that the world has ever seen, but as long as Mordecai lives, I'm never going to be happy. So his wife suggests that they put him on a pole. The King James Version says gallows, but it's actually a pole of impalement probably. Seventy feet high. And, of course, he can't legally do that, so he has made the decision as we come to the close of chapter 5 that he needs to go talk to the king about that to get permission, and he was pretty sure the king would let him do it, and he was looking forward to sticking uh, Mordecai on that pole and killing him, and the whole world could see. Here was a man that wouldn't bow down. Well, guess what he's doing now? Now he's on top of a pole and he's dead because he wouldn't bow down to me. And that's where chapter 5 ends, and it just... All right, I mentioned it in my prayer, and we've talked about before how that the, the book of Esther, even though God is not mentioned anywhere in the book, that God's all through the book because it's God working behind the scenes. Uh, there's a title of a book uh, that's a story about the book of Esther that's entitled God Amid the Shadows. Uh, even though you can't see him, if you look real close, he's there in the shadows working behind the scenes. And if there's ever... A chapter that exhibits that is this particular chapter we're going to look at right now. But before we start looking at the chapter, let's once again refresh our memories. Somebody define providence for me. Okay? Um, It's how God's will works um, for the benefit of what his purpose is and what his people's purpose are. Yes, Karen? All right, that's literally what the word means, God provides. But how does all that work, though? How does providence work? You're, you're telling me what it is, but how does it work? 
All right. And so we can, what we're saying then is that uh, providence works through natural means as opposed to supernatural means. And um, so God doesn't have to uh, cause something to happen that um, like a fireball coming down from heaven or me climbing on top of the building and uh, me jumping off and I magically could just float around the, the parking lot there and throw stuff at Jeff. Um, that kind of stuff's not going to happen anymore uh, because that would be supernatural, okay? Because that would be a, above what would be natural. Uh, it goes against the nature of the laws of gravity. If you jump off this building, the laws of gravity say you're going to fall. Now, if by natural means I made the decision to go up on the roof and do something and I slipped and started to fall, and as I fell, I just happened to land in the back of... of um, Michael's pickup truck, and this particular day, he had a bunch of trash in the back of it, and I landed on it, and it cushioned my fall, and I was not hurt at all. Now, that is being spared by natural means. Michael happened to be a member of this church. He happens to drive a truck. He happens to have trash in the back of the truck. He happens to have his truck parked in just such a way that when I came off the roof, I landed on top of the trash and was not hurt. Now, somebody might say, well, that's quite the coincidence. Well, it may have been coincidence, or it may have been providence. That's how providence works. And, and the, the thing about providence is <clears throat> you really can't put your finger on it and always and say, well, that's God's providence, because we really don't know. Because if we did know absolutely without a doubt that God intervened and did something, what have we done to the definition of providence? We've made it, we've taken it away because now we've said it was miraculous, right? And so that's the very, that's how that providence is kind of an unusual thing. Providence is real. Providence works. I believe in providence. Is God working behind the scenes? I believe with, without a doubt that God, through his providence, has caused things to happen in my life the way that they happened so certain things would turn out the way that they turned out. Now, if I had to go on a lie detector test and say I knew uh, I could prove it, I couldn't prove it. But that's the very nature of providence. Yes, Jeff. Absolutely. And um, that brings up the point that sometimes we think when something befalls us that's bad or some tragedy befalls us, uh, we need to be reminded of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 that tells us that all things work together for good with them that love God, then are called to, according to his purpose. And that means we don't know if that particular event hadn't happened in our life, what the outcome would have been. Um, it depends on how we react to it and how um, we keep, on, keep our faith in God. And so providence sometimes can cause something to look very bad, uh, but it's for the ultimate good. Or sometimes um, something will happen where you say, well, that man, that's amazing how that turned out. And you may think in your mind, well, that's God's providence. Well, it might have just been coincidence. That's the way it works. But the book of Esther is about providence. I mean, that's really, everybody that reads it understands and appreciates the fact that the writer worked really hard not to use God and have his name mentioned lest someone think something miraculous has happened. But you see him all through the book behind the scenes, and you really see it in this particular chapter. Um, in fact, um, somebody else might go through this chapter and find more, but I found five things that 
are, are really providential that they happened the way that they did. And um, somebody might say, well, that's quite a coincidence. No, that's not the point of the book. It's just providential. This is God working behind the scenes. And see if you agree with me as we start looking at this chapter. Now, set the stage once again. Esther had this banquet with Xerxes and Haman. She invited them back for another meal the next day. Haman is very happy. He goes out and sees Mordecai, though. It makes him very mad. He decides he's going to um, kill Mordecai, and he's going to go see the king the very next day so so Mordecai can be put to death that day. And uh, that's where the story ended in in chapter 5. And so chapter 1 begins with three words. On that night. So this is the night of the same day where they had the meal, where Haman saw Mordecai, and Mordecai made the decision to kill, I mean, Haman made the decision to kill Mordecai, and he's going to go ask the king on the morning of that night, the next morning, if he can kill Mordecai. So that's where we are. And on that night, we see a beginning, we see some, some different providential things happening. And the first one that we see is in the first verse when it says, On that night could not the king sleep. What starts this whole ball rolling is for some reason the king could not fall asleep that night. He'd gone to bed, he tried to go to sleep, but he couldn't go to sleep. There's a guy by the name of Willie Shakespeare that said, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Now, what does that mean? So there would be some reasons for the king to be awake that night. Maybe he's worried about his soldiers. Maybe he's worried about the economic position of the kingdom. Uh, Maybe um, he's thinking about um, the big meal that he had, and he's got some indigestion now. (laughs) Um, maybe he's thinking about Esther and wondering, well, I wonder what Esther wants. Boy, I, that lady, she sure is being coy with me. I wish she'd just tell me what she wants. Yes. Tell me why somebody might think that um, this is providential, that the king couldn't sleep. I mean, I'm sure there's other nights the king couldn't sleep. But on this particular night, there's a, he couldn't sleep, and it's going to start the chain of events of some other providential things. Um, In fact, so strongly did the um, Jewish people who later wrote the Greek Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, very ancient, it's the one Jesus quoted from, in the Greek translation of this particular passage, it says, now when the Lord removed the sleep of the king. Now, They kind of added a little bit to the original translation there because that's not in the translation. The Lord's name does not appear in the original language. But so strong were they that this was providential that when they were translating it into the Greek from the Hebrew for the Greek Septuagint, which evidently was a good Bible because, like I said, Jesus and the apostles quoted from it, uh, they added that the Lord did this. Now, to me, that violates the whole nature of the book, and they shouldn't have done it because you're trying to leave the Lord out of this to make it providential. But my point is, this is just more than a guy that couldn't sleep that night. 
And who knows that there may be some night when you can't fall asleep. That's happened to me before. I don't have trouble with indigestion, but I have some nights where I just can't fall asleep. My mind's just racing too much. There's too much going on in there. There's things I need to do or haven't done, or maybe I'm just so looking forward to the day and getting started, but I just can't sleep. But in this case, this night, it was providence. Because look what happens next. And he commanded to bring the book of records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. Second providential thing we have happening here. The choice that the king made. Now you think about this. Here's a king that couldn't sleep. A king has at his disposal about anything you can think of. He couldn't sleep. Choice needed to be made. I want to fall asleep. What can I do? Well, he could call one of his concubines. He certainly already talked about that. He had plenty of concubines. He could have called Esther. He'd just spent a nice meal with her. Maybe that was the thing that was keeping him awake. Um, He could have called the court musicians in. They could have played him a a lullaby. Uh, He could have brought some of the guards in, and they could play a game of cards. Um, He could have... uh, call down to the kitchen and say, bring me some kind of dessert or something that will make me sleepy after I eat it. But instead of all those choices, what does he say? Go get me, go get me the royal records. Go get me the chronicles of our palace. Uh, and I want somebody to read those to me. Now, he might have made that choice for a good reason. If you ever want to fall asleep, open up First and Second Chronicles in your Bible and start reading it. <laughs> It'll make you sleepy, yes. That's right. He could have been reading Tom Sawyer or something. But instead, he picked the legal proceedings of the courtroom. That's about as dry as reading a phone book. Because all it's going to be is a bunch of names and different things that went on. Um, we've don't have access to the actual records that he had, but basically the chronicles would be stuff like, well, the minister of so-and-so came in and he discussed this. Then he left and then the minister of finance came and he discussed that. That's the kind of stuff that would be in there, okay? So we've got two providential things. He couldn't sleep and he just happened to want to have read to him Chronicles of the Kingdom, which brings us the third thing that's providential. Of all the things, of all the chronicles that the kings had, the guy who opened it up happened to open it up to a section that happened five years ago. Now, he could have read from yesterday. He could have read from a year ago. He could have read. He decided when he opened up his, his book there, and we're not sure how he came upon that decision. He might have just let the book fall open. He happened to fall on an event that happened five years earlier. Now, what are the odds of it falling on the very story about Mordecai? I think I've shared this with you before about the lady who had a very unique way of studying her Bible, that she would just let her Bible fall open and whatever the verse that she would close her eyes and land on, that's what she would do that day. And she fell upon the passage that said, Judas went out and hanged himself. And that says, well, we can't have that. And she flung through the pages real quick and did it again and landed on the passage that said, go thou and do likewise. So you, That's not a good way to, to do a book. But this guy evidently just kind of fell, the book just fell open 
And it fell open, as verse 2 says, it was found written that Mordecai had told of those two mean guys, one was a big guy, uh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the door who sought to lay hand on the king, on king Azarus. And you remember from our study of this book earlier that Mordecai had heard about this plot to assassinate the king and the proper authorities were notified and it was written in this particular chronicle, but evidently nothing was ever done about it when something should have been done about it. The king's life was spared because of a good citizen of the kingdom. It was recorded, but nothing was rewarded, this way of looking at it. So at this particular time, it just happened to fall on that particular section of the Chronicles. So as this guy's reading this to King Xerxes, verse 3 says, And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then the king's servants that ministered unto him, there is nothing done for him. And here we see providential event number four, which I'm going to let you answer. What is the providence involved here? Yeah, if, if, if Mordecai, and I guess you could say the delay here is the providence, but if Mordecai had received what he was supposed to receive at the time that it happened, then it w- this wouldn't play into the story at all. He would have got his recognition, that would have been the end of it, and basically, it would have had no effect on this story whatsoever. Now, Mordecai didn't do this, because I don't think Mordecai is this type of man. But some of us, because I know us as people, what our nature is, some of us might have been really upset that we didn't get any honor when we saved the king's life. We might have thought, well, that good-for-nothing king, see what I do for him next time I find out somebody's going to kill him. Or we might have even said, you know, God, I, I, I spared this man's life, and you know, here we are in the same situation I was before. And um, we might think, well, I'm never going to get any recognition for this. Six months went by, a year went by, three years went by, four years went by, five years went by. He's going to get his recognition, but now that recognition is going to be used in the plan of God. My point in that is, sometimes we ask God for something, or we think something is supposed to happen, and we think that that God doesn't love us because it doesn't happen the way we think it's going to happen. What God is saying is, just wait a little bit, just wait a little bit, and it's going to work out for the best. So Jeff, I saw your hand a minute ago, And, and I don't know if Mordecai looked at it this way, but when he does finally get his reward, I wonder if he looks back and then he looks at the whole big picture of what happens later in the book of Esther and he, it finally dawns on him, well, you know, that's why I wasn't rewarded. And that's the way providence works. Sometimes we can't, we can't see how God has worked in our lives until we do a careful review of going back through the past. Why did things happen the way that they happened? Um, why did... Uh, was there this um, delay that took place? And so we've got all these things now that are coming together that just from a casual look, you'd say, well, no, nah, this is nothing really big deal. There's a guy that couldn't sleep. There's a guy that wants to read a book. There's a guy that read a section of the book. Oh, we discovered that there's somebody who didn't get rewarded. But no, all this is now falling into place like pieces of a puzzle. It's all coming together. Um, 
it shows you how that, that, that God has uh, ways of work, making his purpose worked out that's behind the scenes. And um, so right here, we see all these different things going on, and it all started because the king couldn't fall asleep. But now we're going to look at somebody else who had some trouble falling asleep that night. A guy by the name of Haman. Because you read in verse 4, And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman was coming to the outward court of the king of the house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he prepared for him. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. Now here we see something else that's providential. Haman happened to be at the right place at the right time. Now once again, if Haman hadn't been there, the king would have asked somebody else. See his statement? He says, is there anybody happen to be out in the court, palace area, that I can talk to, one of my advisors? Is there somebody out there? Well, they could have brought in, you know, Joe advisor or Ted advisor. But Haman happened to be there. Now if Haman wasn't there, then it messes the whole story up. Haman had to be there. Haman had to be there at the right place in the right time. And what's interesting, the reason why he was there, and you get this when you look at the flavor of the whole story, was the man couldn't sleep. He too couldn't sleep. Now, he was probably out during the night making sure they were building that gallows just right. But the number one reason why he was there when he was there, and we get the impression that this was very either very, very late at night or very early in the morning. He was there for what reason and why was he there at that time? Because he couldn't sleep? Because he was, what? So, he wanted to so get this done. He, he was, I'm first in line. I don't want any other business. Nobody, no other king, don't talk to the king till I talk to him. And that's the impression you get from the idea that when the king says, is there any of my advisors out there in the courtroom because he was expecting nobody to be there. But Haman was there. And so there's a timely arrival of the right person being at the right time because if he wasn't there, then this, this whole episode changes. Okay? So verse 6. So Haman came in, the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor of all the people to ask that question to. Because the rest of the verse says, Now Haman thought in his heart, To whom would the king delight to honor more than myself? Oh, I see what you're doing here, king. You're going to surprise me with something, and you want me to go ahead and give you what the surprise is, because, man, I am, I am the man. And once again, you start rehearsing that he just got through having a private dinner with the king and the queen, and, and, and he'd, he'd been feeling really good about himself till he saw Mordecai, and, and he's come in here now to ask for permission to kill Mordecai, but the king asked the question first, and look what he's going to do. Oh, bless his heart. He's going to find a way to make me feel so good. Man, this is going to be, oh, I better think of something really, really good. The king wants to surprise me. In fact, you get that impression because in verse 7, notice what he does. He didn't just answer the question. He, he says the question again for emphasis like, 
Oh, so you really want to honor someone? The text says, And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delighteth to honor? You can almost see a little uh, gleam in his eye. Well, let me tell you, king, let me tell you what I want you to do for me. Let the royal apparel be bought, which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head. Now, Haman taking a brave shot right here. Because what was Haman basically saying to the king? Let me be the king for the day. I mean, you don't put on the king's clothes, ride the king's horse, and wear the king's crown. Somebody might say you're trying to take away his power. But Haman, so full of himself, he thought, I don't care. This is my chance to get what I want. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, he probably didn't think, well, Haman wants to take away my throne because he's not talking about Haman. But in Haman's mind, this is my chance maybe, I mean, because that's the way empires worked back then. Another king sometimes just took over, had another king killed. So he's really saying, let me be king for a day. And then he says in verse 9, And let this apparel and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes. In other words, you get one of your big dignitaries to do this, that they may array the man with all, with all whom the king delighteth to honor and bring him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to this man whom the king delighteth to honor. So... Mordecai, and some, I mean, uh, Haman in some ways is getting, his, he thinks in his mind some comeuppance on Mordecai. Mordecai won't bow down to him, but now I'm going to be paraded through the whole street and everybody's going to see how big and powerful and important I am. Well, I bet he's just about to jump out of his skin. He's so excited about all this. And so you can imagine the reaction when he hears these next words. I bet there never was a man who felt so low in his entire life. (laughs) Then the king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel and the horse as thou hast said, and do even so to Mordecai, the Jew, that sitteth at the king's gate, that nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Now, I don't know why the writer of this particular book didn't give us some more information on this. Because it doesn't tell us what his reaction is. And maybe he left it that way so we could just have fun with it. But if there was ever a man who, first of all, was ever caught off guard so badly and shocked, it would be Haman. And if there was ever someone who was so upset, it would be Haman. Because look at the irony here. The very reason why he wanted to kill Mordecai was because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. And now what is Haman going to do? He's going to be bowing down before Mordecai and lead him around as he wears the robes of the king. But all the text says is, then Haman, then took Haman the apparel on the horse and arrayed Mordecai and brought him on the horseback through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, thus it shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And then, well, I can just before I get to verse 12, I can just picture in my mind him leading him around on that horse. All through the city. What a day that was. Mm. Verse 12 says, And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house mourning, having his head covered. 
Now, you see a lot here about the character of Mordecai and what a big contrast between him and Haman. What is significant about the fact of what you read in the first part of verse 12? Now, here was a man that was given the highest honor in the land. He'd been dressed like the king. He'd been traveled around town saying, this is a man who's honored by the king. Somebody might say, well, you know, I'm a pretty important person. I might need to do some more of this. Mordecai went back to doing what he was doing like nothing had happened. Went and took his place there at the gate. But Haman, man's got a bad heart. He couldn't stand it. Yes, Michael. Yeah, most people think that the, he, he changed out of his clothes after that period of fasting was done. Remember they had the, the days of fasting? They think he got, went and took a bath and put on some deodorant and got some clean clothes. Um, you can only take that sackcloth so much because that, that goat hair, that goat hair is rough stuff. <laughs> but you see the bad attitude of Haman. He hasted to his house mourning. Man was, the word there for mourning is like somebody died. Okay, he, he's somebody that's so upset he's like he's lost one of his loved ones in death because he didn't get his way. In fact, he says, having his head covered. Now, why did he have his head covered? All right, shame. Maybe he didn't want anybody to see him after what he did. He thought, I don't want anybody to see me like this. I'm going to pretend like this day didn't happen. Oh, go ahead. He what? He wasn't a man who liked to boast, was he? <laughs> yeah, he was. It, it may be that he was hiding his face because, you know, he, he opened his big mouth and now his foot was in it. Now, there are some... Well, do what? Yep. He was, he was very humiliated. Now, there are some commentators who make us think that this is a play on words with the, where it said it hasted to his house mourning and having his head covered. It was a Persian custom that when somebody died, you would, they would cover their head. And so there's like this idea that he, he really thinks somebody has died. In a sense, he died this day in the fact that um, of what has happened. He thought that he was up here, but he's down here. And um, it's also kind of interesting that he's mourning because somebody died and he's having his head covered like somebody died. But guess who really is going to die here in the next chapter? <laughs> So uh, the next morning, uh, he's going to be the one on the pole we're going to discover. But anyway, verse 13 says, And Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise man and Zeresh, his wife, unto him, If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shall surely fall before him. Now, that's one of the most puzzling things in the book of Esther. With everything's happening and everything Haman has been talking about and doing, and he's been sharing this with his friends and his wife, he comes in and tells them this story about what happened with Mordecai and his friends and his wife basically are saying in the text, you might want to watch this. You might want to stop what you're doing because you're not, this is not going to succeed now. Now, why in the world did they say that? Well, we can only guess. Yes, Jeff? Okay. And it would be very odd for him to uh, order the destruction of all the Jews when the, when the Jews had just been honored. Very good. What else? 
which brings up an interesting thing. And um, before they were aware of his plans to kill the Jews, in fact, his wise men were probably the one that the wise men that's mentioned in this verse were probably the ones that helped him cast the lots to decide when that day is going to be. So they didn't have a problem with them killing all the Jews before, but now all of a sudden, as you mentioned, they specifically mention that he is a Jew and talk about his seed, literally in the, it's the idea of the seed of Abraham. So what changed? Why did they change their minds? And that's the big question. And the only answer I can have is this, that before they were all ready to kill the Jews, they did know about the history of the Jews and about how God had promised to make their Abraham's descendants as the sands of the seashore, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through his seed. But they really didn't believe it. But when this happened with Mordecai, it caused them to understand we're seeing it happen again. And they could re- rehearse in history all the different times where it looked like the Jews were down and out. But boom, God preserved them. And so now, in a sense, they're seeing the proverbial handwriting on the wall that there's no way in the world that Haman's going to win this. And so they're telling Haman, his wife included, Haman, you better drop what you're doing and you better drop it like a hot rock. Okay. But anyway, whatever the reason was, and there's some people who think that the Persians were very superstitious people. And they look at this as a bad omen, that what has happened. And since there was a bad omen associated with this, um, not to do it. Well, anyway, we're running out of time. Verse 14, while they're talking, the king's servants come and get... Uh, Haman because he needs to go to the banquet now that Esther has provided and Haman doesn't know this but this is going to be his last meal and he might not realize it as he's walking to the king's palace but he's a dead man walking and that's a good place to stop this thank you for your help